extol praises unto the Lord as we prepare to hear from him. Because, beloved, not only am I grateful for what he's done in and throughout my life, I'm grateful that he has given us his word. He has given given us his word for correction, for for reproof, for instructions in righteousness that the man and woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good word. May our hearts of gratitude be pointed towards the word of God this morning. Amen. Amen. Indeed, it's a privilege and honor to be with you this morning, Forest Baptist Church. I thank God for how he has kept you one more week. And it's good to see you one more time. It's good to be in the house of the Lord one more time. May we never take for granted that God owes us anything because he sure don't owe us another day. He doesn't owe us another breath, but I'm so grateful that he is merciful, that he is mighty enough to keep my heart pumping, that I may worship with the people of God one more time this Sunday morning. Amen. Amen. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles or on your device. To Revelation, the third chapter, as we continue our studies to the church, as Jesus has written these seven letters to his church, the local and universal church, the church of his for all time until his return. For it is through the the church that the Lord is ushering in his kingdom. He's using regular old folks. That's my prayer. I pray that you will see in the text this morning that He's not using anyone that is super special. He's not using those, only those who got a whole lot of money or those who have a real high IQ. He's using regular folks to do his glorious and mighty work. Revelation, the third chapter, we'll be reading verses 7 through 13. And if you are able, please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Revelation, the third chapter, beginning with verse 7. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world, to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar 
in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Just like to put a tag on the text before us this morning. Letter to a faithful church. Letter to a faithful church. Let us go before the Lord in prayer this morning. Oh, gracious and eternal Father, how good and how faithful and how wonderful and glorious you are. And Father, we do come this morning declaring that we are grateful for the many issues that are flowing from our heart this day. Lord, you know what's already going on. You know our cares, our concerns. You know about our anxiety. But Father, you're so gracious that you give us a promise. And you say, be anxious for nothing. But in all things, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known before you. Father, you say we don't have to worry about it. We just need to turn it over to you. For you do have all power, all authority, all might in your hand. And Father, you're able to do all things great, wonderful, and well. And it's with this confidence we come right now boldly before your throne of grace. And Father, we just say thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your provision and your protection one more week. Thank you for allowing us to gather one more time under the blood-stained banner of Jesus the Christ. And thank you, O oh Lord, that you saw fit some 2,000 years ago to send your only begotten Son to live the life that we could not live and to die the death that we deserve, that we may be brought out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Thank you, O oh God, that we serve a risen Savior. For on the third day, he got up with all power, majesty, and might in his hand. And Father, we say thank you. And Father, as you have revealed yourself to us through your word, ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to believe and to receive, what thus saith our Lord. And Father, I ask, I beg that you would speak from me, to me, and through me for your people. That you would be glorified most of all. Christ Jesus, our King. We love you, Master. In Jesus' name we do pray. And all of God's people said together, Amen. Amen. You know, as we move throughout this culture, there are so many ups and downs, turns, left and right. This is a, uh, an interesting culture. But one thing about the culture that, that is more prominent but really has not changed is the fact that we live in a culture uh, that is always desiring something for nothing. I don't know about you, but the, the human heart, we, we always want something for nothing. We want the job, but we don't really want to do the work. Hello, somebody. We want the education and the degree, but we don't want to go to class. We, we, 
we want the, the type of relationship that them folks over there are having, but we're, we're not willing to invest the time that is needed. Because we're often thinking the grass is greener on the other side. But one wise person said, you just need to water the grass where you live already. And so these are, this is the culture we live in. We always want something for nothing. And beloved, we want to live these Christian lives that are blessed and highly favored for nothing. And it's not that we have to live a certain way or act a certain way or accomplish something in order for God to, 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 to bless, to keep, and sustain but really, we're not investing uh, in the Christian walk as God desires, but yet we want to be these strong, reliable, smart, powerful Christians. We want something for nothing. See, but this, this, this desire is actually contrast to what we see all throughout Scripture. And, and Definitely in one chapter of Scripture that we see that is well-known and prominent, Hebrews, the 11th chapter, is, is known to us as the, the, the Faith Hall of Fame. And within the Faith Hall of Fame, we see people who, who weren't looking for something for nothing, but they were willing to surrender their very lives to the cause of Christ, and in doing so, they reaped much blessing. When we think about those who came before us, the, this list of names in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, uh, uh, those who provide to us this great demonstration of faithfulness towards God, we think about those like Abel and Enoch. We think about Noah, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses and Rahab. We think about not only their faithfulness towards God, but from their faithfulness, they were caused to move and to take action for God. In this chapter, the 11th chapter of Hebrews and all throughout Scripture, we see genuine faith leads to acts of faithfulness. I can't say that I'm faithful if you can't see my faithfulness. See, faithfulness can be described as revealed belief. The fact that you were willing to walk into the sanctuary this morning, go to your favorite chair, your chair, you know your chair, the chair you sit in every week, you knew you had faith that your chair was going to be there this Sunday. And not only did you have faith that your chair was going to be there Sunday, but that when you sat down, your seat was going to have enough strength to hold you up. Because you believed in your heart that your chair would would actually hold you up. You sat down in that chair. Beloved, that's faith and faithfulness. Your faith that it would hold you caused you to sit down. Beloved, we have to get past calling ourselves Christians who have faith, but you don't see our faithfulness. God has called us as a church not only to say we have faith, but to demonstrate our faithfulness through our actions. Just as these individuals in the 11th chapter of Hebrews have been faithful, Jesus wants his church to be faithful also. Jesus wants us to, by faith,
faith believe the mission that he has given us to make, to mark, and to mature disciples for Jesus Christ and to do something about it. Beloved, will we be a people who just talk the talk and not walk the walk? Are we just a people of faith or are we a faithful people? You see the difference? I can have faith. I can have a belief. You, you can go out amongst your coworkers and say, yes, I'm, I'm a man, I'm a woman of faith. But what is your faith in and how does it cause you to act? See, if my faith is in the fact that God really can't provide for me and I have to take care of myself, then my actions are going to look like, then I need to always be hustling and dibbing and dabbing in order to take care of myself because God can't take care of me. If I have faith in a man or a woman, then my, all my attention and focus is on that person and what they are able to do for me rather than what God is able to do for me. Beloved, we all have some type of faith. What is your faith in this morning? And will that type of faith actually lead to faithfulness? Don't, don't, don't say, yes, I'm a Christian, but can't nobody see the Christian in you? This is dangerous. This is dangerous. And this is why Jesus is writing these letters to these churches. Jesus is saying, don't keep calling yourself a church if you're not willing to do what church folks do. And that's be faithful. Be faithful. As a church, by faith, we share the good news of what God has done through Jesus Christ to save sinners and to glorify him. It's by faith we share that message. We can't make folks get saved, but we're just called to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So it's by faith that that, that we share this message, praying that God will cause it to take root and that it would bear much fruit. In this church, by faith, we gather believing that we have been given the power to stir up one another to love and good works as we gather on Sunday mornings. That's why we gather. We don't just gather for us to observe, for us to to take in the show. We, We gather to encourage one another and to stir up one another to love and good works. You you know, you know what it means to stir up somebody. That means, that means there's a, if you had a cup of water and you begin to stir the water, there's some agitation going on. That's, there's some type of movement going on. You can't stir up nobody if you walk in the door, sit down in your chair, and don't move the whole time to talk to anybody. You ain't stirring up nothing. I'm sorry. We come believing that not only has he called me to do it, but because I am filled with the Holy Spirit, he's given me the power to do it. You never know what a kind word would do to somebody's heart. You never know what a handshake or what a hug would do to somebody else. Don't just wait for somebody to come to your seat to say hi to you. And then get mad at them when they walk past you. They ain't even speak to me today. I mean, I'm sorry, that's not this church. That is not this church. I keep... By faith. We host ESL classes and provide a food pantry and support job placement, believing 
that God has called us to make a difference in the lives of those living in this community. It's by faith. We, we don't do that uh, expecting a reward. We don't do that expecting a pat on the back. We don't do that so that our, our name will be in the newspapers. We do that because by faith we believe that Jesus really makes a difference in someone's life. And the gospel calls us not only to have an inner witness, but have an external witness to the hope we have in Jesus. It's by faith. This is what it means to be faithful. Fidelity to Jesus is what matters most. And from each of these seven letters we have in the book of Revelation, we, we see Jesus saying, in spite of where you are or what you face, be faithful. In the midst of false teaching, be faithful. In the midst of persecution, be faithful. In the midst of Satan's dwelling place, be faithful. Some of y'all are like, that's my house. Satan lives in my, he says, even in your house. Be faithful. You ain't got to act like Satan just because you live there. Just be faithful. In the midst of compromise and corruption, be faithful. In the midst of lifelessness and deadness, be faithful. Beloved, in spite of where you are right now, if you've trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, just be faithful. See, being faithful is this, this idea, this understanding that we, we are looking towards this unseen future. We're, we're, we're looking through the lens and the gaze of God's promises and character. Being faithful is, this, is a type of trust towards God whereby you abandon all self-reliance and put your full confidence in him, God's word and God's promises. Being faithful is having, having this confidence and the ability and willingness of God to act in, in supernatural power to advance his kingdom and a commitment expressed in prayer and action to being the means by which he does so. So faith says, I believe that God can move over this situation, but then faith says, and God can use me to do it. So it's not just crying out to God just, just, just for an answer, just for him to move, but many times God loves to use his people to be his hands, to be his feet, to be his lips, to move on his behalf. Be faithful. See, beloved, true faith is seen in obedient action, love, and continued works. True faith is not worrying about what others have to say about you. Because true faith says, I believe who God uh, has called me to be. I'm created in his image. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
he, he, has, he has his eye on me. And as a matter of fact, the psalmist says, in some text, I am the apple of his eye. That he loved me so much that he was willing to send his very best, not part of his best, not some of his best, his very best in Jesus Christ to come and to die on Calvary, to give up his life. Oh, some of us, how, how would, you, you, would you be willing to die for a friend? Maybe a good friend. Is that what Jesus says? You might be willing to die for a good friend, but what about a bad friend? And beloved, I'm just here to say the only reason that we love him is because he first loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, God moved on our behalf. So true faith says it don't matter what they think about me. It don't matter what they say about me. So what? Because my God loves me. He don't just talk like he loved me. He act like he loved me. He laid me down last night. Gave me rest. Sweet dreams and woke me up this morning in my right mind with a decent portion of health. When I went down to make my coffee, there was food in the refrigerator. I turned on the sink and the water cut on. I couldn't find a spoon, so I turned on the light because the LG&E was paid. And then I went to go check on my children and my family, and, and they was moving too. I, because God has been good. He demonstrates his love. This is why we can be faithful. Oh, and beloved, we, true faith, it, it's not a secondhand faith either. You know, it's not a hand-me-down faith. You, you, your faith has to be established because you know Jesus. Not because your mama know Jesus. Not because your daddy know Jesus. Not because your grandma or grandpa, your uncle or deacon, your cousin or pastor. No, but do you know Jesus? Do, do you have an authentic faith? This is what Paul is talking about to Timothy in 2 Timothy, the first chapter. He's talking about uh, Paul is talking about Timothy, and he says to him, first chapter, verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that f- dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, your, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. You can't have a secondhand faith in order to be faithful. Jesus wants you. Jesus wants me. Jesus wants Forest Baptist Church to just be faithful. The church that is found faithful to Jesus will be found blessed by Jesus forevermore. That's the thrust of this text. The church that is found faithful to Jesus will be found blessed by Jesus forevermore. In other words, be faithful and you will be blessed. This is the lesson we received from the church in Philadelphia. Their, their model of faithfulness, it, uh, it receives nothing but commendation from the Lord. This is one of those churches that they have no condemnation. Jesus doesn't correct them at all. He commends them for their faithfulness to what he has given them. And no doubt, when we think about 
when we look at this church in Philadelphia, there's, uh, there's no doubt you recognize the name of this city in which this church resides, Philadelphia. We, Philadelphia, this, this, the city of brotherly love, but uh, our, our Philadelphia in the United States actually gets its name from this Philadelphia because this city in Asia, uh, Asia Minor, it derives its name from the loyalty between two brothers. One, the younger brother was approached by Rome to try to overthrow his older brother, and he refused to because of his love. And they established this city as, as, a, as a symbol, a sign of brotherly love and faithfulness. This younger brother, he was faithful to his older brother. You see how that works? When you have a relationship, a knowledge, a trust, a faith in, it causes you to act in a certain way. What a blessing for him to be found faithful. And what a blessing for us to be found faithful. So as we walk through this text this morning, notice how faithfulness and blessings are interwoven. They're intermingled. And they just come together. Look here in verse 7, this, this first sign of faithfulness. Faithfulness to Jesus is blessed by his sovereignty. What does it say? And to the church... And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. Again, Jesus, he's, he begins his letter uh, with this declaration of who he is. Jesus' words here are, our description of his divine authority and power. Jesus is the Holy One. See, th throughout Scripture, that, that title, Holy One, was used of God himself. We, we see it being used as uh, God, uh, he is the Holy One, or the Holy One of Israel. Time and time again, this phrase is used to describe God himself. And, and, and what is indicating is that Jesus, he is, he is set apart from sin. He is pure. He is undefiled. He is spotless. He is without blemish, stain. He is, he is without those impurities that you and I have. Uh, he is holy. He is completely set apart because he's God. But he's not only the holy one. He says he's the true one. Jesus doesn't just tell the truth all the time, but Jesus is the truth. He is the truth. In 1 John, the fifth chapter, 1 John, the fifth chapter in the 20th verse, it reads, it says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. This, this trueness, this authenticity, it, this is how it is being described of Jesus. It's being in accord with what's true. Like, like that old commercial, see, Jesus is the real thing. He's often imitated but never duplicated. He's, he's preeminent. There's no one like him. 
No one compares to him. No one comes close to him. Satan is not his equal, and he is not a close second. He is sovereign. He is above all. He rules all. The text of Scripture says by the word of his mouth, the word of his power, that all things came into creation, that was created. He alone is true. He's distinct from all others, Jesus. He's trustworthy. He's reliable. He's genuine. Beloved, oh, beloved. What is it like just to have a reliable and a genuine friend? Oh, someone trustworthy. I'm simply saying somebody who's going to do what they're going to say they're going to do. You ain't got to go above and beyond. You ain't got to do all the extras. Just do what you say you're going to do. That's, I believe that's why we sing the song, Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Because no one is like him when, when it comes to being real. You love someone because they so real. They be cussing you out, talking about you, but you love them because they real. Jesus is real, but he came to lift you up, to get you out, to make you more. He is a real friend. Jesus, he, he's remind, the holy one, the true one. But then he, he says Jesus is the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. What is he even talking about here? He, Jesus is harking, uh, he, 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 he's helping us to go back to Isaiah, the 22nd chapter, and, and in the 22nd chapter is this, is this conversation that Jesus is, that God is having and he's presenting to, uh, to the country, and there's one steward that's in place, but uh, he hasn't been doing right by God, and he, it, what he says is, I'm going to raise up a new steward, Eliakim, and Eliakim is going to be given the keys uh, uh, the key of David, because he's going to be my faithful steward. He's going to run the entire house. Now, that position that he would take would be second only to the king. That means that Eliakim had all authority. He had all say. He had access to all of the treasures. What People had to listen to Eliakim because he had the key of David. So it's a symbol of authority. It's a symbol of responsibility. But here it is. Let's turn to Isaiah, the 22nd chapter. You may be there already. Isaiah 22. Listen to this in verse 20. In the day, in that day, I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and will, blind your, and will bind your sash on him. And watch this. And will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Now, now pay attention to this language. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. He has all authority. What he says goes. Like, like growing up in a house, you, you used to stomp upstairs, get mad at your mom and daddy, and you try to close the door, and they come up right after you say, you better not close no doors in my house. Why? Because they had all authority and all power. Let me shut no doors in my house. 
<laughs> like, amen. It's my house. I'll pay to be another me star. Verse 23. And I will fasten him like a peg in a secure place, and he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. What, what Jesus is doing, he is uh, he's referring back to the Old Testament and, and helping us to see that Eliakim is just a type of Jesus Christ. Eliakim's life was just a shadow, a, a foretelling of what was to come. How do we know that? The language in Isaiah 22 is pretty similar to the language found in Isaiah 9. Turn with me, turn with me to Isaiah, the ninth chapter. Isaiah, the ninth chapter. Verse 6, the prophet is, is talking about the coming of Jesus. And he says, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And watch this, and the government shall be upon his what? His shoulder. Wasn't the, the government going to be on the shoulders of Elijah? And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there would be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it exactly what Eliakim was called to do, to establish the throne and to uphold it. Eliakim is just a type of Jesus. So when Jesus is pointing back to, to the stewardship of Eliakim, all he is saying is that in verse 7, I have all authority, all power, all dominion, and all sovereignty over everything. Jesus has absolute power over entrance into the heavenly kingdom. Jesus alone decides who gets to come in and who doesn't. Beloved, it's, it's not your good works being more than your bad works that's going to get you into heaven. It's not going to be the fact that your name was on a church roll. It's not even going to be the fact that you may have been baptized when you was five years old. It, the, the way that you are uh, allowed entrance into the kingdom of heaven is by Jesus Christ alone. Because he has the keys. And when he opens the door and says, come in, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Only he can say that. Or he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. We access to the kingdom. It's only by Jesus Christ. Why does this even matter in all of this? Beloved, if Jesus has all power and all control and all authority and he is sovereign over all things, if he says your door is open, then your door is open. And if, and if your little faithfulness is enough for him, then your little faithfulness is enough for glory. He, he sets up this whole argument by establishing the fact that I am supreme. And you need to listen to what I'm about to say. Faithfulness to Jesus is blessed by his sovereignty. But watch this. Faithfulness to Jesus is blessed with opportunity. In verse 8, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. What is Jesus doing right here? Jesus, he is acknowledging the work of this church, but he's also acknowledging the weight of this church. He says, I know your works. 
I know what's going on. I know what you're doing when folks ain't looking. I know where you're going with that can't nobody see you. I know your heart. I know what's really, really good. You can fool them, but you can't fool me. I, I know your works. He's paying attention. Jesus knows what's going on, not only on the outside, but on the inside. And it's incredible because he, he gives them a comment. He knows what's going on in their life. He, he didn't say, uh, I know you have, I know you to have a perfect life. He says, I know your works. And I found them to be something good. And, and, and I found them to be something that, that blesses me. But on the other side of it, he says, I, I know your way. He says, you, I know you have a little power. Jesus, he, he's not uh, talking so much about their faith, their, their weakness of faith. He's, he, they're small in number. They're small in size. They don't have a big reputation like the church at Sardis. They, they're not well known by everybody. Like, their Facebook page don't have 100,000 likes. People aren't going to their Instagram to find out what's going on at their church. They have little power. See, but, but even in their little power, Jesus gives them a commendation. Beloved, I, I, I just want to help you understand. You, you don't have to know all your eschatology. You don't have to know all your soteriology. You don't have to know all your hermeneutics. You don't have to know the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. But he says, I, you got little power but you've been faithful with what I have given you. Just be faithful. Stop trying to be like them and be the best you that Jesus has created you to be. Be faithful. But this opportunity comes because they have chosen to be faithful. What does he say? He, he has this open door. Jesus has blessed this church with the opportunity to share salvation, but then also the opportunity to enjoy salvation. Without going into details in the text, I need to move along, but uh, in Scripture, when we see an open door, uh, most times it, it has to do with the door of opportunity to share the gospel. So, so when Paul is going on in his missionary journeys, there's many times where he says, and we have an open door in such and such place. I mean, they have the opportunity to go into a place and begin to share the gospel. So, so what he's saying is, I've given you an open door. You, you have the ability to go share the gospel, the good news, to, to, to do and to be what I created you for. To make sure people know uh, uh, how, how is it that they, their life can be made right. How they can enjoy salvation and eternal life with Jesus Christ in heaven. He, he's saying, you, I, I've given you an opportunity. They have this opportunity to share salvation, but they have this opportunity to enjoy salvation because not only do they have a door where they can share, their faithfulness results in their access to the kingdom of God. This is what this open door is. I have set before you an open door. See, in the city... For those who will become Christian, those who are part of the synagogue, the Jews would, would, would make sure they took your name off the roll. If, if, if you trusted in Jesus, then, 
then we didn't want to have anything to do with you. And they would literally shut their doors to you. You couldn't come into the synagogue. You couldn't go into their houses. But Jesus is flipping the script. He's saying, don't worry about what earthly doors are open for you. Don't worry about uh, people uh, liking you and loving you and wanting you around. He's saying this, though their doors may be closed, my door is open. And, and, and the door that I open, they can't shut it because they can't touch my heavenly kingdom because they're not going to be there anyway. And if you actually care about somebody's house going over, don't get mad because they invite you over for Thanksgiving dinner. Don't get mad because they think you all sedity now because you found Jesus and they don't want to do de- Don't get mad. Just be grateful for the doors that you are allowed to go through. Because the door that we're allowed to go through is lined with streets to go. And we have a mansion and a, and a, and heaven far away. And then we have, we have so much blessing. Why are we worried about what people care about us? Because we got an open door. But then on the flip side, beloved, some of us think we're walking through an open door, but that door is going to be shut because we went to church all our life. We just was kind of around the things of God. We, we never truly surrendered and submitted our life to Jesus Christ, and that door is going to be shut. It is Jesus who gives opportunity to, this, to those in this church and around this church. Faithfulness to Jesus is blessed by opportunity, but then also faithfulness to Jesus is blessed with security. Verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try uh, those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Jesus is talking about security. He's talking about security prim- uh, first from, 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 from the Jewish haters that's coming around. Basically, without digging into the text, uh, uh, it's not enough time. It's, it's so rich. But what, it, what he's basically saying, all throughout Old Testament history, you see how Jesus, uh, the, the Spirit of God is saying, those Gentile nations are going to, the, the same Gentile nations that oppressed you, those same Gentile nations that talked about you, those same Gentile nations that hated you, they're going to come to a point where they're actually going to be broken and have to bow down before you because they're going to see that I've set my affections on you and that through you, the kingdom is going to come. What Jesus has basically done in the New Testament is flip that script. So the Jews that were supposed to be God's people, has now the church represents God's people. And those Jews who, 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 who thought that Gentiles was going to come bow down to them, those very Jews are going to be the ones bowing down before Gentiles. And the haters that were hating, Jesus is going uh, to show them who is really in charge. And that their trust in themselves is misplaced. So he, he protects them. He's going to give them security from the very ones who are hating on them, but he's going to give them security from that day of judgment, that, the hour of this, this trial. There's a couple of different ways we could take this text. In the text, uh, it, it's specifically referring to chapters 6 through 18, the, the great tribulation. In the tribulation, we see it in the series of three. We have the, the set of seals. We have uh, the set of, of bowls and the set of ends. We have these, these, these sets. Of, of judgment coming on the earth, and, 
And some believe that this text says there's a, a pre-tribulation rapture, that Jesus is coming back for his church before the tribulation comes. But then there are some who believe this text to represent a post-tribulation rapture. That means that people of God, they, they won't be removed from it, but they'll be kept in it. And then, then Jesus is coming back. Either way, what Jesus is saying, though trouble may come your way, though you will have drama, Though there will be issues, though there will be problems, that I am with you and I will keep you. Beloved, the, the Christian life is not this, you come to Jesus and then everything is good now. If you really live in the Christian life, the oppression actually gets heavier because Satan recognizes, oh man, this one here actually believe what they say they believe. Now I got to actually uh, uh, come against them even harder. But Jesus says, because you have been faithful with your little power. Ha, I love that. Because you've been faithful with your little power. Yo, now don't none of us want to be called weak or little. But Jesus, with your little power. Oh, you so cute. Look at us. They just tried so hard to love me. And they doing the, I, I'm going to keep them. Through our weakness. Ha. Not through your power, not through your strength. Through your weakness, he's going to keep you. Through your insignificance, like, like you're insignificant. You're, you don't have to have no big reputation. You don't have to have no big name. Your, your, your pockets ain't got to be fat. You ain't got to have three months of, uh, of revenue in the bank. You know, they say, in your weakness, I'm going to take care of you. You don't got to be the smartest. I'm still going to keep you. Beloved, that's a word of encouragement. Stop trying to be somebody else. Jesus wants to use you. And when we do that, he says, don't forget, hold fast. Hold fast to your crown. Because, because I've opened a door, you already got your crown. Just, just, just hold on to it for when I come so no one will seize it. Faithfulness to Jesus is blessed with security, but then lastly, faithfulness to Jesus is blessed with certainty. Verses 12 and 13, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus, he's He's making the same promise in four different ways. He's basically saying, you will belong to me. Because of your little faithfulness, you're going to belong to me. He says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Basically, in this, in this area, in this land, what he's saying is that uh, this land was full of earthquakes. It's not far from Sardis. Remember the church of Sardis? This church is not far away. So, so in that, 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 that city was devastated by earthquakes. This city had been devastated by earthquakes, and the aftershocks actually caused the people to have to live out of town. What Jesus is saying, he's saying that even in the midst of, 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 of problems and chaos and instability, I'm going to make you stable in my temple to support the weight of the temple the pillar had to be stable. 
had to be strong. Jesus says, I'm going to make you strong. Now, beloved, I don't know about you. Now, uh, from one day to the next, uh, I don't know where I am sometimes. Uh, I'm up one day, I'm down the next. I had a thought one minute, I lost it the next. It's like, I'm up and down. So Jesus says, I'm going to produce something stable out of your life. Your life. Yeah, your life. The life filled with drama and chaos, confusion and turmoil, like a hurricane that hit your house every week last month. He said, I'm going to take your life and make it like a pillar. Can Jesus really do that to to my life? To make it where you're stable? Yes, because you belong to him. And not only is he going to make you stable, he's going to give you a brand new identity. He's going to write the name of God on you, the name of the city of God, and and his own new name. You're going to be identified who's your God, who's your city, and who's your Savior. He says, God's going to be on me, my address is going to be on me, and the new name is going to be on me. My identity is changed because of my little faithfulness. Faithfulness to Jesus is blessed with certainty. So what is Jesus calling us to today? So what? With so what, Jesus wants us all in. That's it. That's the whole sermon. Jesus wants us all in. Are you all in? Where is God calling you to be all in? What is God calling you to be all in to? Because, beloved, if we're honest, many times in our life, some even now, we have not been all in. And we are not being faithful. There are so many times in my own life where I have not kept Jesus' word. I have not been obedient. There have been so many times where I've denied the name of Jesus, not because of what I say verbally, but where I am physically. How I treat people. I'm denying the name of Jesus. My witness is denying the name of Jesus. But, beloved, let us receive encouragement, not from our own ability to obey, but the faithfulness of Jesus to obey. But in 2 Timothy, the second chapter, verses 11 through 13, my Bible says the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? For he cannot deny himself. Jesus is saying, your faithfulness is not predicated on your ability to obey the commandments. Your faithfulness is not predicated on your ability to do right. Your faithfulness is not based upon your ability to get right. Beloved, stop saying you're going to get right. You can't get right. You ain't going to get right. So don't think you can get right. What he's saying is your ability to be faithful is found in the fact that I am faithful. When you were faithless, I was faithful. When you were not thinking about me, I was looking at you. When you had your back turned on me, I came down to you. When you was doing your thing to the left and to the right, I was the one obeying imperfectly. 
when you could care less about what thus saith the Lord, I said my bread and my, uh, my bread of life is to do the will of the Father in heaven. When you were sinning and dibbling and dabbing, he's the one who lived a, a, a sinless life in thought and in deed. When we couldn't care less about our eternity, he says, I'm going to lay down my life to bring something to myself. When you was thinking about how you can get over, they said, I'm going to help them get over. But they're going to they're going to lift them high and stretch me wide. And he said, they're going to place the sins of this world on my back. When you could have cared less about your sin, he was dealing with your sin on Calvary's cross. Jesus, the Christ. When we were faithless, he was faithful. When he looked at your situation and said, they are headed to hell right now. And if I don't do something, then all of these people are going to perish forever. But the word of Scripture says, but, but, but he loved us so much that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Beloved, this text is for the whosoever's, the ones who have been faithless. I don't know where you've been. I don't know where you've fallen. But Jesus says, even though you've been faithless, I've been faithful. And when you look to me, because my life has been so, so set apart, because I have redeemed you, when you look to me, you will be saved. Beloved, that's the good news of the gospel. In spite of me, in spite of myself, in spite of the fact that I've been tripping over my own feet, in spite of the fact that I've been causing my own problems, in spite of the fact I keep making bad decisions, he says, even when you're faithless, I am faithful. So we don't look to ourselves this morning, we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus because he's already been all in. We look to Jesus because he continues to be all in. And we look to Jesus this morning through repentance and faith. For the unbeliever, you say, I have been unfaithful by denying you. Would you please forgive me and save me? For the one who follows Christ, you say, I've been unfaithful by thinking too highly of myself. And I should be walking in humility. Beloved, commit to being faithful by looking to Jesus daily. The church that is found faithful to Jesus will be found blessed by Jesus forever. As a matter of fact, the people who are found faithful to Jesus will be found blessed by Jesus forevermore. Beloved, be all in today. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to be all in not halfway, not part of the way, but all the way. Help us to surrender and sacrifice our, love to, uh, our, our lives to you, that you may receive all glory, all honor. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' precious holy name we do pray. Amen.